you wanted your vlog, you got your vlog. Yeah, but I still feel like you owe me a vlog. You skipped a week. You will never be satiated. Never. Well, I think I think you need you owe me like an extra vlog. That that's all I'm saying. Well, you're gonna be sad because I'm not doing one this week. I, I can't believe you're disrespecting the schedule like this, Mike. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. I don't understand what's happened to you. I think I've rubbed off on you. There is no schedule, though, Gray. There was no schedule. You, you, you were the one who decided there was a schedule, not me. Why is this the one project that doesn't have a schedule, Mike? Because it's not my job. <laughs> it's not. It's because it's your side project. It's because it's my side project. <laughs> and quite frankly, I mean, like the real reason is I just don't have enough interesting things going on at all times to make. Like, I could make a video this week, but it would be really boring. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm going to make a video next week because I'm moving house. I mean, that's the reason that I'm not making a video this week is because next week we're moving. Oh, it's finally happening for real? It's finally happening for real. We had the movers booked. By the time many people are hearing this, I will have moved. Ooh, very exciting. Yeah, into exciting. Cottage. I'll be ensconced within Mega Office. I can't so this wait. is the last recording in your old office then? Which is your bedroom. Actually, yes, it is. It is yeah. the last recording of anything. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that until just now. It's momentous. But all of next week's shows, even though we're moving middle of the week, but all of next week's shows are going to be recorded from Mega Office. I think because I'm the last one, I should also be the first one in the new office. Great. So you want to record next week? So delay all of your shows. <laughs> oh, until, until January. After, <laughs> until, until after, after the next recording <laughs> of Cortex. I think, I think that's the way to handle this. I mean, I yeah. could do that, but I would then also lose the house that I'm buying. So, <laughs> Right. Fair enough. Okay. I can see why you don't want to. I can yeah. see why you don't want to. <laughs> as nice as it would be to take Cortex across everything. Mm-hmm. You got to pay for those houses somehow. And houses aren't cheap, I hear. That's, that is very true. So you wanted to know my YouTube ranking. Mm-hmm. It turns out that there, there is a website that will tell you it. Vidstats X is, is like the second tier website now to something called Social Blade, which many people wrote in to tell us about. My current ranking as of today, Gray, is 232,533 subscribers. Mm. I'm actually pretty pleased with that, to be honest. Yeah, I think that, that's that's interesting. I was aware of Social Blade, and I think what happened was when I first started being aware that there were websites that could track your subscribers, Social Blade was actually the one that I used years and years ago. And then at some point, VidStatX took the mantle for having better numbers, but it mm. looks like Social Blade is coming back on their game now to be the the better website. Uh, with uh, the live subscriber count things that they do and also being better on mobile. So it looks like I'm going to be sort of moving back to Social Blade uh, from VidStatX for looking up uh, various things on YouTube. Although I do I do absolutely hate that the website has these estimated earnings, which are off by like an order of magnitude with their estimates for like the low and the high numbers. Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> My estimated yearly earnings are somewhere between £63 and a thousand pounds. That is a huge difference. I know, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. It's like I don't know why they even have those numbers there. I don't understand what those estimated earnings things are, but it just bothers me that they have a data point that is just so meaningless, and that the, like their high end numbers for some channels are just comical. Like they're just like just insane insane numbers that's that's my least favorite thing about social blade but overall it does seem like it's uh it's winning the war for which website is actually better but yeah i i agree with you that 
it's interesting to see that you are well, you just round it off like in the top quarter million yeah. of YouTube channels. And what is your current subscriber numbers? Ten thousand six hundred and fifty nine. 10,659. And I think this, this again goes to reiterate the conversation that we were having before of the, the total number of YouTube channels is just incomprehensibly yep. large. Uh, and it's like you're, you're moving up this power law distribution of what subscriber numbers look like and where you are in the rankings against all other channels uh, with that. So keep, keep climbing that power law graph, Mike. I will say the live subscriber count for me is just a sad page. You know, it doesn't move very much. You can sit and look at that thing for a while and nothing really happens. <laughs> yeah, do you leave it open in the background somewhere so you can check in on it every I once in a while? I have it on a dedicated TV hanging on the wall now, you know. Just got to keep my eye on that thing. I think you have space for that in Mega Office. That should be one of the things that's in the background of your videos, right? You should always have that in the background. It's just a flat line. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But not forever, Mike. It won't be a flat it's line true. forever. So that I think you should, you should do that. You should have a dedicated TV in the background that shows your live subscriber numbers as you're recording the vlog. There's no way people will mess around with that. Uh, that's definitely something that you should do. Yeah, I'll look into that. Do you remember we asked Ryan to slowly fix your problem with your email mailboxes? <laughs> Oh, is this tech support? Okay, we're back to my tech support. Excellent. <laughs> Ryan is is back again for our oh, great. bi-weekly check-in here for the, uh, the, the, the situation of your email problem. <laughs> and uh, he has provided some handy screenshots. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> basically, there is a rule that you can set up. This is the problem. We were looking in smart mailboxes for the situation oh. for this VIP problem. It is a rule that you can set up on your Mac for if sender is in my contacts, you can create a mailbox for that to be in, call it the VIP mailbox or whatever. If you use iCloud email, there has to be a Mac on always to filter this. Mm. But if you use Gmail or something, I assume maybe other services that are not iCloud email, you can set up these rules and it will work in the cloud. And then he has also provided instructions on how you can set up those mailboxes to be pushed on iOS, which is not intuitive, but Ryan has provided the steps. Boy, these are some nice screenshots, I have to say. This is, this is done very nicely here. This was a multiple, uh, multiple days of communication between me and Ryan to get to this situation. Oh, wow. I appreciate that the two of you are working on my tech support problems. This is great. It was more he was just doing it and I was just saying thanks. And then he would come back with another saying, oh, it didn't work. So, Ryan, I think I think Ryan may have solved your problem here. I mean, this is this is interesting. I'll have to look at this in more detail when the show is over. Because I'm assuming you use Gmail or something similar. I, I don't use Gmail. Uh, I actually use Fastmail as the back end. I'm not using Gmail. Uh, maybe Fastmail will do the same thing as Gmail, though, because who knows? This is what this is what's occurring to me. Is um, yeah. they have a bunch of server side rule stuff that you can do. So there there may be something similar to this. It's just a question about synchronizing contact books. Uh, but it is helpful. But it, I still do have the one limitation with the Apple Mail thing that I find frustrating, which is that I can't sort by sender on iOS. Right? So it's like limiting everybody to the people who are in my contacts book. This is fantastic. Uh, I would love the ability to sort by sender on iOS like you can on macOS. Uh, but this this is like 
60% of the way towards being very helpful. So I will definitely take a look at this uh, in more detail after the show. Maybe Ryan can somehow create some elaborate system of rules to reorganize your mail for you in alphabetic order. Who knows? Just yeah. route it through some server somewhere. and <laughs> Yeah. Or maybe Ryan can work with the guys at Unibox to get their update out to fix all of their various problems on iOS. Uh, whatever it is, uh, I look forward to solutions that i receive on the podcast this is fantastic (laughs) thank you ryan poor ryan today's episode of cortex is brought to you by squarespace the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page website or online store you can start building your own website today at squarespace.com and use the offer code cortex at checkout to get 10 percent off your first purchase with easy to use tools and templates squarespace helps you capture every detail of what drives you because if it's worth the effort it's worth sharing with the world. With Squarespace, you'll be able to build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of your skill level with no coding experience required. They have state-of-the-art technology that will power your site, ensure security and stability at all times, and make it a dream to use. This is why Squarespace are trusted by millions of people around the world. They have 24-7 support with live chat and email. They have a commerce platform so you can sell physical and digital goods and so much more. You can sign up for a year, you'll get a free domain name, which will let you call your website exactly what you want, and their plans start at just $12 a month. Sign up for a free trial today, and you'll need no credit card, and you can start building your own website straight away. Just go to squarespace.com. I've used Squarespace for many years, and I thoroughly recommend them to you for your next project, or for you to suggest to somebody else for theirs. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, use the offer code CORTEX to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. Thanks to Squarespace for the continued support of this show and Relay FM. Many people in the Reddit have tried to fix your notification problems for you. Oh, have they? Yep. I bet they have amazing solutions. There is one person, Funkju, on the Reddit, who suggested something that was in my mind, and I don't know why I didn't bring it up at the time. Mm-hmm. So considering you have your device set for these basically two different modes, you have a contact me mode and a do not contact me mode, mm-hmm. why don't you just have two phones? I saw this this comment and I saw a lot of uh, Twitter replies about having two phones. Because this is within your character, right? You have two watches for this purpose. You have like two iPads, maybe seven iPads. Like, I was going to say two iPads. <laughs> two? <laughs> I feel like you've forgotten our, our conversation <laughs> from long ago. I have at least 12. Yeah, you, Mike, have, have been brought along to the multi-pad lifestyle here, right? You were so skeptical a long time ago. I am like a mere apprentice. I have but two iPads. <laughs> so why do you not have multiple phones for this? Like one that is just disconnected from everything and one that's connected. Yeah, so I saw people mention this. And and I think it's just kind of funny. Like mention it in a way as like as though it had never crossed my mind to use multiple devices for this purpose. The, the problem is the way Apple handles two different things, one of which is the notification stuff. So while you can have what I do, multiple Apple watches that are connected to an individual phone, you cannot reasonably have one Apple watch that connects to two different phones. This is this is just not a possibility. If you want to do this, it means you have to wipe and restore the Apple watch every single time, which takes forever and is an enormous hassle. So you can't tell an Apple Watch 
to look for whichever phone is, is the one that's being actively used right now. Is it the morning phone or is it the evening phone? And so what this means is it automatically makes it impossible for me to have the notifications go the way I want to, them to go, which is through the Apple Watch. So the morning phone would not be able to use the Apple Watch. And it's like, okay, that alone is a big problem. But there's a second really big problem, which is that Apple, to my great frustration, which I mentioned before, doesn't synchronize your health data across anything. And so when I was playing around with this a while back, like I quickly realized you end up with two fragmented, unrelated health databases that like can't be merged and can't be handled in an easy way. And so because I exercise in the morning, this... I run into this problem with like the apps that I want to use for exercise, trying to write data to a separate Apple health database. And so it's like... Which is stored on the phone, not the watch. So you can have two watches, but you can only have one phone because you have one central store for the health data. Right, right. Your Apple watch is always going to be tied to one particular phone. And it makes sense like, okay, whatever phone I'm going to receive iMessages on, like that has to be the phone that the Apple Watch is going to be tied to. But then that means like, oh, the morning phone that I would use that has this kind of subset of notifications that I want to receive, which are reminders to myself from myself, that phone can't run notifications through a watch. And any health stuff that's done on that phone is going to be limited to that phone. It can't synchronize out elsewhere. It's like, this is just... It's too much of a hassle, like it's too much of a pain in the butt that it, it causes more problems than it solves, uh, you know, let, let alone some of the other synchronization issues that I'm always a little bit frustrated with with Apple. So it's like I would totally do it if it was something that the software supported, yeah. but it's not something that the software supports at this time. And so this is this is one of the reasons why like I have this frustration with a lack of granularity over notifications because I feel like... Hey, Apple, even if I am willing to buy two phones to solve my notification problem, I still can't solve my notification problem because of the way the the software operates. So that's why uh, I don't do this. But it was to the many people who were giving feedback about this issue. Yes, I had I have definitely this had definitely crossed my mind. I had definitely done some trials with older phones to see if I could make this work. And it was just like, no, this is way impractical this is much more of a hassle than than the problem i'm trying to solve it's a shame the health data thing because i could have seen a world where you ended up with two phones and four watches (laughs) 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 which would have been just delightful for me yeah i think you would have you would have enjoyed that quite a lot but i think that that's that's crazy i don't i don't really need that that's really though is it is it more crazy is it more crazy than just having two watches like i feel like it's it's a diminishing return of crazy you always say that the two watches thing is crazy but it's not crazy i've given you all the reasons why it's fantastic and i love it Mm -hmm. yeah i don't think that it being fantastic and you loving it doesn't mean it's not crazy it's but it isn't crazy it isn't crazy because i have very good reasons for the for the way that i do it i don't have good reasons to be running two phones and four watches so it's not going to happen even though i know that you would love it for podcasting purposes and the inevitable argument The inevitable argument was (laughs) the obvious one. I know. Android can give you what you want. Right. It is the inevitable argument anytime we ever complain about anything Apple related. But the level at which Android can give you what you want here is far greater than I would have assumed. 
Because in my experience of playing around with Android, it felt to me that like the notification problems were the same, but I had not mm-hmm. gone deep enough, Gray. Right, because you have one of the Google Pixel phones, right? I do, yes. Mm-hmm. And I maybe I wasn't looking because I didn't think such a thing could exist, mm-hmm. but it does. So I asked for some assistance and some guidance from the people in the Reddit thread to try and give me some information for how notifications work on Android. So you can definitely have settings on an app-by-app basis about what notifies you. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing you can do. But then they also have a whole system called Priority Apps. Hmm. And this is where it gets kind of incredible. Priority Apps can break through your Do Not Disturb barrier. You You can set that, the Priority App notifications, to activate and deactivate at certain times. This is all built into the system, let alone the things that you can do to hack on it, right? And also, in the latest version of Android, there is a six-tier importance level system, (laughs) including showing what can and can't be shown on the lock screen. Six tiers. Six tiers. (laughs) Even I feel like that's quite a lot. That's quite a lot of tiers. (laughs) But this is the thing, I think, of all of the arguments, because we get this argument a lot, right? You Mm. like pencil support. You should use a Surface. Right. Okay. But it really does feel to me that, like, that this is such a fundamental frustration for you. Mm -hmm. It's solved there. (laughs) And, and I, I just, I wonder. And I know the problem, the problem of this is the exact same problem of the day phone, night phone is the Apple Watch. The Apple Watch is the problem. But it is just interesting to me to see just the level at which Android has solved this problem and then the level at which Apple is ignoring it. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like that—that That is a way more in-depth granularity than I would have expected as well. <laughs> like this, is, this is definitely a case where you and I are like iOS peasants where we're asking for a single level of the ability to yeah. break Do Not Disturb. And and Android is over there. It's like, look at me with my six levels, right? I have levels to spare. Uh, and and so, I guess this is definitely a case of, of where like Android wins this one. But yep. I've, I've always I've always acknowledged like if you want a bunch of settings, like if that is your primary concern, is the ability to fiddle with and make everything exactly the way you want it. Android is is the choice for you. And I think this is partly why like people go a little bit crazy why I'm not an Android person because they think I'm that person with everything. But like in this is a case where I am not that person. I have other priorities aside from just like the sheer number of settings that are available. But this large this this goes mostly straight to this core of this frustration of there are definitely many places in iOS where it feels like it's a little neglected, like it's a little creaky, it's a little old, and the notifications area is definitely one of those places. And this this is like a comical disparity then in the amount of granularity that you have on Android versus the amount of granularity that you have on iOS. Yeah, I, I expected that this problem was solvable on Android, right? Because mm-hmm. they all seem to be. Right, every mm-hmm. problem you have can be solved on Android, but it's usually with like you got to root your phone and use the Android development tools. But no, this one's just built straight into the system. Yeah, that's that's the big difference. Is this is not this is not oh you're hacking around with your own phone. This this is just built in, and that does make a huge difference. And so I hope Apple is listening. <laughs> I, I I hope that they 
think about adding some more features to iOS and the ability to break through Do Not Disturb or have more granularity in the settings. I, I am not hopeful, but I, I hope that it is something that will change eventually. But I'm hoping that because I'm not switching to Android anytime soon, even though it apparently would solve every single one of my problems. This episode is brought to you by Hover. From artificial intelligence doomsday theories to puppies wearing fedoras, over 2 million blog posts covering every topic imaginable are published every single day. That's why it's so important to have a great domain name that stands above all the noise. As of November 21st, the much-anticipated .blog domain extension is now available for registration at Hover. This means you'll have much better chance of finding your first choice of a unique, relevant, and memorable name for your blog if you go right now. Plus, all .blog domains come with all the great things you'd expect at Hover, like free who is privacy, no heavy-handed upselling, and their trademark no wait, no hold, no transfer phone support. To register your own .blog domain, head on over to hover.com and use the promo code COTTAGE to save 10% on your first order. Hover. Domain names for your ideas. Thank you so much to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, so last time on the show, uh, we promised an Ask Cortex special for Cortexmas. So I wanted to get all of our follow up out of the way so we've cleared the stage for the Cortexmas break. So that's all dealt with now. And I do not feel like it would be hyperbole to say that I have been inundated with questions. Far more than I expected to receive. So we're good on Ask Cortex for a while, but keep sending them in anyway. Um, My favorite question was, why are we sending all the questions to Mike and not to the both of you? And I feel like, because Mike is much better at organizing all of this mm -hmm. stuff than I am. (laughs) Question number one, this is the answer. Mike has a big document full of tons of questions, nicely indented, nicely bullet pointed. Yep. I would never create this. So thank you, Mike, for arranging all of this. Sorted, rewritten, highlighted. (laughs) I was also very surprised, Gray, that I only received one question by email. That's fantastic. Isn't that what you want? Yeah, but that question was tweet length, so I have no idea why it came to me by email. (laughs) But it did. Uh, It was exactly what I wanted. Um, Many people, many, many, many people used the hashtag and many, 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 many people used the Reddit. Um, I appreciated the people who were trying to group the questions up for me. That was very nice of you. Um, But I have a vast array of questions here for the two of us to go through. So starting off with Justin. Justin asked, can you give us a full rundown of the applications that you're currently using for tracking your time and or making you more efficient at work? I am also interested in this because I want to get into time tracking a little bit more sometime after Cortexmas and to trying to understand where my time's going and maybe what it's best used in and trying to maybe work out that scary figure that you have of what my time is actually worth in money. <laughs> One year later, you might actually do this. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> it's the, you have. I think you have to go through a whole process before you want to start doing stuff like this. And I'm also a little bit scared of what I'll find out, but yeah. it's something I definitely want to do. So what are you currently using for time tracking? Okay, well, before we before we get to that, I do do just want to reiterate that for, for anybody who does the what is your time actually worth calculation, like I'm, I'm teasing Mike about putting it off, but I've, I've done this with a number of people. 
And people are, in some sense, like, right to feel hesitant about doing this and hesitant about really facing it straight on, because it can be terrifying and life-changing in all kinds of positive and negative ways. And, and like, to really put a number on your time. So I, I, I kid you, but I do understand why there's a lot of mental resistance about doing this kind of thing. Because it's like, your life will never quite be the same after as before when you really sit down and, and value your time per hour. Like, it, yeah. it can't help but become a thing that lodges in your brain and changes the way you think about a lot of stuff. Because, like, here's the thing, right? Do I work in a creative field. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of stuff that I do which doesn't make money or doesn't make as much money as other things. Like, mm-hmm. for example, my YouTube channel. Like, my YouTube channel would right now just be a black hole Yeah. from a financial perspective. And it's like, if I find that figure out, I don't want it to rule my life, but just to inform it. Right, yeah. And so that's why I've been hesitant of it. Yeah, that, that's the real key is that you have to understand this as, you know, like I say, with a lot of the things that I have set up for myself, they, they are guidelines. They are not rules because you'll, you'll lose your mind if stuff is like a rule that you have to follow all the time. Uh, but so after all of that preamble, uh, I have nothing to help you. Mike, I have nothing to help you because because I would actually love to hear from people what they use for time tracking because I have gone through various phases of tracking my time in different ways over the years. And what what I find occurs is that as the nature of my work changes, I eventually find that there's some some limitation about the way I'm doing time tracking, which isn't working for my current work mm-hmm. that did work for my old work. And right. I've gone through like three phases of this. Because you, you you, were using like a Rube Goldberg machine triggered by Launch Center Pro, weren't you? Like a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is this is in modified versions. Launch Center Pro has been at the the heart of what I've used for a while, but it's been connecting to different systems behind the scenes. Uh and I basically I have come up against a kind of limitation about this recently because uh, for various ways that my business has changed, I want to be able to do more granular tracking on a project basis. I need to know more specifically than just here is the time that I spend on YouTube. Like I want to be able to narrow that down to time spent on a particular video as a subset of YouTube. And the the system I had built for myself in the past couldn't handle this very well. And so I was aware that I needed to change time tracking systems as the year was going on. And then as I was working on that rules for rulers video, and I was aware, like, all of my time is being spent thinking about and working on this project. I was aware that even thinking about time tracking was just nonsensical during that time, because it's like, well, I guess I'll just write down six weeks all of the time because I can't release this. And so I actually made a conscious decision to stop time tracking sort of halfway through that project and put time tracking aside until I have figured out a new system Mm. that has uh, the features that I'm looking for. So I don't have any particular tools to recommend for you. And I, I too am exactly in the world of looking into what are the options 
out there. I think I do have a bunch of like particularly picky things that I want. Like I kind of want to be able to set timers. Like that's very much how I work. And that seems to be how no time tracking software works. But I'll, I'll be very curious to see like what do people recommend uh, in the comments for software that is easy to use and detailed with time tracking. So I'll tell you the tool that our mutual friend Federico is using. And the one that I want to try is called Toggle, T-O-G-G-L. And it is a time tracking application that has apps for all the major platforms, but also a bunch of integrations with other systems and an API. Uh, Okay, see, that's, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. So, I mean, I know that he has been leveraging the API and its integrations with automation services like Zapier, it doesn't have mm-hmm. an IFTT integration, unfortunately. He's been using that to track his time. And it was when he started doing it and showing me what he was doing that kind of pushed me over the edge. Mm. Because it wasn't just my crazy friend Gray who was doing it. Federico started doing it too. Oh, uh, okay. You know? right. yeah. Because That's there it. are yeah. so many things that you do that are like not for normal people. Yeah, but see, like, here's my perspective on this. Mm-hmm. You think that there are all these things that I do that are not for normal people, but slowly but surely, in our time together, yeah, yeah. you pick up more and more of them, right? Yeah, I'm becoming just like you. It's horrific. They all start out crazy, yeah. right? But then eventually, you talk to me long enough and you see the reasonableness of what I do, so... <laughs> I know, but there, there, is, there is an element of my life where I realize I can't blindly follow you (laughs) (laughs) but i'm not asking for blind faith right that's why i'm so convincing is i'm just trying to show you the reasons for why i do things i'm not asking for your blind faith i don't want your blind faith so now i've decided that this is the thing that i want to do and this is a service that i'm thinking about trying so this is going to be the one that i maybe dip my toe into the water with um, especially considering you have no options. So maybe you can try this and, and tell me what you think of it as well. But I've seen some of the charts and graphs and such that this app produces, and it seems very interesting. Yeah. I, I, I like it the right at the bottom of the very first page, one of their features is like timer integrations. Like, sounds interesting. Sound, sounds sounds uh, very interesting indeed. And if it it is able to be tied into other services it sounds like it's the kind of thing that maybe i can i can build on top of it precisely what i need so i can like kick something off mm-hmm. from a button on ios so i will definitely be looking into this uh as well jace jay curl on reddit this is one of the problems with reddit by the way like when people tweet me their questions they usually have their names attached to them so i can just look at their user uh-huh. profile and grab their name doesn't happen on reddit so lots of interesting usernames yeah but the reddit that, i don't think that's a problem of reddit that's a feature of reddit is that people have hilarious usernames oh i know it's a feature for reddit but it's less of a feature when you're trying to read them in your q a section of your podcast makes it more yeah, difficult well you're just lucky you didn't get any of those pme your whatever usernames right that's too many of those on reddit i don't even know what that's about <laughs> but maybe i should stay away from that eh? yeah it's, it's not for you jay curl asked I would love to hear about some of the checklist-based workflows that you both have. This can include templates, repeating items. I have a checklist. The phrase, I have a checklist, is a famous gray quote that has been skirted around for some time now. So I will kick things off. Uh-huh. Um, the main checklist that I have, like standard checklist, is the checklist that I created for this show. Uh-huh. 
So I have a, an OmniFocus template, which is triggered by a workflow action, which I will obviously not share with you, uh, which goes through detail by detail what it takes to publish a show. And it includes things like checking if the music is correct and in the right places, processing the file, uploading the file to our website, and uploading the file to uh, our audio provider and then making sure all the show notes are right and then create the YouTube video, post the YouTube video. Here are the 75,000 things you need to do when you post a YouTube video. It's all yep. in there. And I trigger that every time I on a Monday morning when I publish the show and I have all of the lists there and I just tick them off as I go. That's one of my checklists that's triggered in OmniFocus. My other big checklist is my packing checklist when I pack yep, for something. Yep. And that lives in clear. And uh, over time, that list just gets added to and added to. And clear, I find to be a really nice application for this sort of stuff. It lives off in a folder on my second screen, and I only use it for this packing checklist. But I like it a lot more than something like OmniFocus because it is like this purpose-built, this is my packing checklist application, and I can add to it really easily, and I get satisfying sounds that play every time I pack my <laughs> shoes. Yeah, I, I still recommend Clear all the time when people are asking for just a simple checklist on their phone. Uh, like I, th I think it's a really great little app, and I use it for a few things. Uh, I do wish they would update for the iPad Pro. Uh, that would be great. I think it's dead, Cray. I know it's dead, but I'm yeah. just I'm just hoping, right? It's just like it hasn't been updated in like two years. Uh, I assume it's dead, but I'm just I'm vaguely hoping. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think they make it anymore. Yeah, no, I think it's over. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you there. So I don't use it for repeating lists. I use it for a couple other things, but. Uh, yeah, I have a travel checklist too. Like, I think if if anybody if anybody needs like a starter drug to why you should have a checklist, it's your travel checklist. <laughs> the web page for Clear on the developer's website it doesn't even load anymore. Oh God! <laughs> I'm sorry, Gray. It's it is actually dead. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. That is that is actually yeah, dead. Yeah. Yeah. What a shame. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, what are you gonna do? A travel checklist is by far and away the best like return on investment introduction you're ever going to get to a checklist and it's just the it's just such a sweet spot because it's a thing that you do often enough that you think you're going to remember everything but not often enough that you actually will and the travel checklist is such a living document of every time you pack you can just add a bunch of other stuff to it and so my travel checklist is ridiculously long but it's because it includes a ton of items that are not intended for every trip. Yeah. But are there to just be like, just run through this, right? Every single time it's like the travel insurance is on there. Like, do you need this thing every time? No, but just like check and take a quick look. There's a bunch of stuff that's on there that's specific to if I'm traveling to the US that doesn't need to be there every time. But I just want to run through this massive one. So I think that's that is really what everybody should start with if you want to build some kind of checklist to use all the time. Um, but I guess if, if this person's asking like what my general checklists are, like the the big three checklists for me are, are unsurprisingly like the three related to the projects in my life right there. The Cortex checklist, the Hello Internet checklist, and the YouTube video checklist. And the YouTube video one is, is the biggest one by far and the most in-depth. Uh, but those ones I'm constantly tweaking every time I go through one of those processes uh, to figure out like what is the best order or to just make it work a little bit better in OmniFocus for the way that I want it to work. Those are the big ones. There's a few other minor ones that I have. Uh, one of which is actually I just I just invoked today, which is that I have a uh, like a monthly financial checklist, 
which is going through a bunch of the bank accounts and the numbers for both the personal accounts and the business bank accounts and making sure there's enough money in my personal account to pay the rent and checking up on a bunch of other stuff. Uh, like that's another perfect case for me of a thing that I do often enough, but not often enough to remember all the fiddly little details. What has to happen in your life to make you create a checklist like that? Do you do them proactively or reactively? I don't know what you mean by your business speak there, Mike. I just <laughs> gosh, it's not difficult. It, like so, for example, the the financial checklist. Did you create that? because you thought something bad might happen, or did you once not have enough money in your bank account, so you were like, oh, I need to create this checklist? Well, okay, so I guess what what you're asking for there is, what I'm, what I'm looking for in my life is a feeling of, am I trying to remember something now? And, and so when I would go through the finances, I, I don't know exactly when I started this checklist. I feel like this one is recent-ish, as in maybe in the last two years, like this is not a checklist that has existed for forever. Um, and I know that I would have started doing it because of this feeling like when I'm doing this, I'm trying to remember what the next step is. And that is just a, like a red flag in my system. Like you shouldn't ever be trying to remember what a thing is because that that's an indication that this isn't routine enough that you don't need a checklist. Uh, it's infrequent enough and complicated enough that you just can't pull this out of your head every single time. And so if I have that kind of feeling, that's an indication that maybe I should think about a checklist for this thing. And so that's that's how I'll end up getting started with it. And they're, they're really easy for me to make. I mean, the, the checklists exist just as a series of text documents in Dropbox that I, I use uh, like a little workflow action to pull into OmniFocus. So like they're very, very easy to just make one really quickly and and to just try it out. Uh, but th- but that's the key thing. Like, is there a repeated thing that isn't repeated often enough to be routine and is complicated enough to more into checklist or are like, is the spacing in time very far? Like I actually have um, on the flip side of it, like a very, a very short checklist is I have a little checklist uh, for reading books, which I think people <laughs> will find very strange. Turn the page, check. Turn the page. Yeah, but it's yeah. <laughs> but th- this is because reading books is part of my professional life. Like this is important for my actual job, and this connects into like I have a little process for taking notes. What I want to do with those notes, wh- uh, making notes to myself for actionable items in the future, and then getting that book into my whole complicated and somewhat sad Evernote system, like. That checklist is not really long. I think it's maybe only four or five items, but it can be spaced out over a very long time between when I start reading a book and when I finish reading the book. So it just acts as like a little placeholder in my system for this is a book that is like, quote, active in some sense, and I can know where I am. Like, am I still just reading this book? Have I finished the book? If I have finished the book, there are two or three little steps that I just want to do and make sure that they're done. So that's another case of of a, of a checklist is good. But I don't actually have a tremendous amount of them. Uh, it's, it's just where they pay off in these various situations. Abysmal Jam asked, what pen does Gray use? I use the Apple Pencil is what I use. <laughs> You'd use a pen, though, surely. Like, if you have yeah. to sign something, what, is there a specific pen? Well, 
When we first met each other uh-huh. back before the Apple Pencil existed, yeah, I was asking you for pen recommendations because yep. I heard you're a guy with some knowledge in this world. Mm-hmm. And we started a process by which I was uh, trying different pens that you were lending to me. And as time went on, eventually the Apple Pencil became a rumor and then an actual thing. And I felt like I just don't really have enough of a need to have a pen that I use all the time. Because you were looking for a pen to write on your paper scripts. Yeah, I was looking for something to physically work with actual paper for the times that I print out and work on the scripts by hand. And now the Apple Pencil has solved that for me. Like, I can do that entirely on the iPad. And so that has eliminated 99% of the time that I would ever use a pen. And so now it is entirely down to signing cards and filling out that little form for going into the United States. Like, I think these are the only times that I use an actual pen now. So, you know, just just in our in our house... Like in every house in the world, there's a jar which has a couple of random pens in it, which I have no idea where they even came from. And on the rare occasion I need to sign something, I just grab one of those and just sign something. So I don't have a pen that I use. So I'm sorry, I have no answer for you. But I'm sure Mike has a very thorough answer for you. I will recommend a pen that I recommended to you that I think you did actually like, which is a pen that I will recommend to everyone. There is a line of pens called the Retro 51 Tornado. They have a very cool look to them. There are a million different styles. And if you get the Retro 51 Tornado, the regular version, it has one of the best refills that I've ever used. And these things range from like $15 to $40, depending on the type of style that you want to go for. I recommend that pen. It is an awesome pen. It looks good. It feels good. Works good every single time. Yeah, it's a little short. I remember that one. I, I felt it was a little short in my hand, but it was. Yeah, but it's a solid pen. Yeah, but they also then make a bigger one, which I just didn't oh, have. Do they? Right? Like oh, okay. they, they have a, they have a whole range of these things. They make big ones, they make small ones, they make thin ones, they make fat ones. Like, but like the standard tornado is the one that I recommend to most people. But you might like the tornado big shot, which is bigger in every dimension. <laughs> oh wow! Mm-hmm. Tornado big shot. How could you not like it with a name like that? Exactly. (laughs) Precocious Apprentice asked, A long time ago, on a podcast far, far away, Gray mentioned that he was thinking of trying Scrum instead of his usual GTD-type method, but he never mentioned it again. I've also seen him looking into Kanban before. I'd be interested to hear his take on the two systems, if he's stuck with either of them, or cannibalized elements to turn into his own system. I feel like this is wrapped up into a much bigger discussion we've sort of talked about that getting things done was perfect for me in the phase of my life where I first came across it and served perfectly for the first five years of my adult professional life, but has become less helpful over time. And yes, I did look into Scrum and I did look into Kanban and and was just trying to I spent a while trying to read up on different kinds of productivity systems. And the the thing that I can say that what I, what I have done is I've taken a little bit from the this Kanban system, which is which is this idea of pulling work in uh, when there are empty slots. And and so uh, Kanban is this idea, I think it, it's best illustrated by this idea in like a hospital 
where you can imagine you have a tray of medications, like little packets of medication that come out of a drawer. And at a certain point, there's a little card that goes in the drawer. And when you get to the card, that card is an indication that it is time to order more medication, right? So it's like you have, when you get to a certain level of emptiness, like you bring on new projects. And so I do have a little bit of a pull system set up just in that I am thinking in terms of like, I have three videos that I'm working on, which are like slots. And so when one slot becomes free, I try to then evaluate the next video that's going to go into that slot uh, for something that I'm going to work on. But I can't say that I really have anything formal that I can describe right now. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the realm of, I have a system that is working relatively well for me but I can't like lay out a bunch of rules for people about like, oh, here is, here is my system. I've written down and formalized and here's how you can follow it. It's, it's more like I've taken some things that work from getting things done, some ideas from Kanban and just simply the most ungetting things done thing like that I'm doing now, which is a, a much, much more heavy reliance on the calendar as a planning tool as opposed to a appointment only tool. All I can say is I, I looked into a bunch of this stuff and I've taken some useful pieces from it, but I, I don't have like a really formalized system right now. It's the gray system. It is the gray system. Uh, but I, I am still aware that I, I, I don't like this state of my current productivity system. And every once in a while I do, I do try to write it down and try to formalize it mainly because like, I think that was a really useful lesson from getting things done that sharp edges and really clearly defined boundaries are extraordinarily helpful in mm-hmm. these kinds of systems. And I'm just, I'm aware that I've been operating for a while with a little bit of, of fuzzy edges for things. And I would I would like to sort that out. I feel like it would be beneficial to sort it out. But I really think that part of the problem is just like so much of my job now is actually the job itself is extraordinarily fuzzy. Uh, it's it's not as clearly defined as the work that I used to do in the past or even the work that I did a few years ago. Like I do find myself in lots of situations uh, increasingly as time goes on where it's it's a bit hard to even know like is the thing that I'm doing now entirely work or not work at all? It It's not always clear when you're working for yourself where some of those boundaries are but one of these days i'll try to sort this out but it is probably not anytime soon we've mentioned that this season of cortexmas is upon us so alexit says has asked what are your systems of holiday decorations at home are there any policies of light arrangements or any traditions that you follow so it's interesting for me right now because i guess I need to create one? Yeah, you do. You do. Or be involved in said creation of holiday lights. I don't think we're going to do it this year um, Mm -hmm. because we will be in our house for about a week and a half before uh, before Christmas. And then we're going on a trip directly after until the new year. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. really feel like there is enough time to actually have Christmas decorations. We did buy a very tiny Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. Which is just for a little bit of festive cheer. But do you have? Do, do you? Is, are there holiday decorations in the Gray household? Oh yeah, of course. It's nice to do holiday decorations. It gives a sense of the passage of time to change things in that way. 
you know, I, I think like seasons and and the holidays are psychologically helpful. Uh, it's it's one of the reasons why when I was living in Hawaii for a little while, it drove me crazy because every day is the same as every other day forever until you die. There's just like there's no there's no sense of passing time. It's it was just terrible. It was awful. And and also doing Christmas in what feels like summer is is crazy making. For me, the holiday decorations for Christmas sort of starts officially on December 5th, which is St. Nicholas Day, uh, which was a big deal for my family because of uh, some Dutch background. And I feel like Christmas decorations should be up from the 5th until the 1st of January. That's kind of my mental time frame for when should Christmas decorations exist. Uh, but sometimes there's a little bit of bleeding outside of those those areas. But we don't necessarily have a ton of Christmas decorations, but I think a little bit goes a long way. Like we have a you know, we usually get a tree, we put up a couple of stockings and like we have Aww. some Christmas pillows and things. And it's just just having a little bit makes a big difference. Real tree? It is a real tree. Hmm. Real tree in London is a is a not easy thing to achieve, I find. Yeah, it is not an easy thing to achieve, but it is it is a, a non-negotiable item from my wife that the tree will be real. And so we do this. I'm a plastic tree person. Yeah, I, I, I would be a plastic tree person too. I think it's totally fine. But I have been brought over to the side of, of the real tree. Like it is, I have to say, like it is a tremendous hassle. It is a real kind of pain in the butt. But I've gotten used to it. And I feel like, oh, it is kind of nice to have a real tree in your house. And then also, you know, it's worth noting that considering me and Grey both live in London, there is no decoration of our homes because <laughs> what, what are right. you going to do? What are you going to just hang some lights out the window? Like, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't know what you're going to do. Yeah, that's that's the closest you could do is put some lights out the window. Hang a bag of lights outside the, the, the kitchen window or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> this episode of Cortex is brought to you by Tracker. Smart cars, smartphones, and smart homes. Technology has made everything smart, but losing your possessions can make you feel less than smart. I hate losing stuff. I lost an umbrella recently, and it was very upsetting because I had to buy a new umbrella. I don't want to have to do that. And plus, when you lose an umbrella and you know you need an umbrella, it's typically raining, which means you're going to get rained on. But if I had attached a tracker to my umbrella, which I will do in all future umbrellas, I would not have lost it because tracker makes losing things a thing of the past. Tracker is a coin-sized device that locates misplaced keys, wallets, bags, computers, even pets in seconds. Just pair Tracker to your smartphone, attach it to any item, and find its precise location with the tap of a button. You can track up to 10 devices with just your phone, and say you lose your phone. If you just press any of your Tracker devices, there's a little button on them, your phone will chime. With over 1.5 million devices, Tracker has the largest crowd GPS network in the world, so your last item will show up on a map even if it's miles away. The Tracker app records your item's last location, and if another Tracker user comes within a 100-foot range, you'll receive a GPS update of your item's location. You can also now personalize your trackers with a laser-engraved message or custom-printed image, and Tracker is enabled by Bluetooth LE, so the battery lasts for up to a year. With Tracker, you'll never lose your possessions again. Go to thetracker.com and enter promo code CORTEX to get a free Tracker Bravo with any purchase. That's T-H-E- T-R-A-C-K-R dot com and code Cortex of any purchase to get a free Tracker Bravo. Thank you so much to Tracker for their support of this show and Relay FM. 
Rule of Lemmings asked, I am a first-year engineering student with finals coming up and just wanted to ask both yourself, me, and Gray, because all these questions were directed to me, what are your best tips for studying and what did you do to study for finals? I am the wrong person to ask <laughs> this question to. Mostly, I think, because I didn't go to university, so I, I have not taken an exam in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I was just not very good good at revising Um, i only ever really thoroughly revised for revising is what british people call studying Mm -hmm. Um, i only ever truly revised for subjects that had intrinsic facts and figures related to them that you had to know to pass Mm -hmm. so maths and some science related stuff and history like they were the ones that I really revised for because if I got the date wrong of such and such battle, that's a mark down, mm-hmm. right? So I didn't really revise for English. I I actually took one paper um, in my I think my GCSE year, having never read the book. <laughs> I went to the classes where we spoke about the book. Um, I read some cliff notes about the book. I just never read the book. Mm -hmm. And it was a book called, I think it was Return of the Native was the name of the book. And I really didn't like the book and then just never read it. And I did okay. I got a B, so (laughs) it was fine. Yeah, see, that's, that's exactly the thing, though. I do not recommend <laughs> this system, by the way. I think you have to have a thing about you, which means you can probably get away with this. And my thing is that I can just waffle enough in the right direction that I get there eventually. Mm-hmm. I don't think this necessarily works for everybody. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it depends. I mean, okay, so the, the, like I have two comments about this. Like, the, the first is... Like, everybody knows this, but I think there's a thing to really internalize here, which is when you're studying, you are really studying for the test, right? You are not studying the subject in general. And people know this, but I don't think they always follow what the, like, the logical conclusion to this is you have to revise for that test. So this means if you have any possible way, you need to get your hands on old versions of the test. So if you can get it from previous years, if it's a standardized test, right, get your hands on that and go over that again and again and again. And this is what I used to do with with my students uh, towards the end of the year when we were preparing for uh, their end of year exams was... I very consciously had the kids do even the exact same test multiple, multiple times. And this is what the studying is. Like, get the answers right on previous versions of it. Do the test over and over. And my, my marker for if you're studying on your own for a test that really matters is you keep giving yourself the exact same test again and again until you get a perfect mark. And... The point of this is not so that you know all of the things. It's 
the point of it is to to drill the routine stuff into your mind so that it's easy to do so that you've kind of freed up your brain for the actual difficult things on the real test that you're going to face now of course this does work way better for a subject like math or physics right something that's real right not not a subject that's like english literature interpretation because there when you're studying for the test what you really need to be doing is just a kind of mind reading of the of the teacher uh and those those subjects are obviously much harder and much more frustrating to study for but i think if you get it into your mind that you're really just playing a game called what does the teacher want to hear and you're not actually discussing like a book or a piece of literature i think it's much more psychologically easy to deal with like okay all i have to do is really just try to repeat this person's words back to them in a way that doesn't make it too obvious that i'm just repeating their words back to them i uh, like that that's what tests are in the more subjective areas and my my final little piece of advice here is if there's if there's any kind of project that is like the equivalent of a final exam get all of the feedback you can from the actual teacher on that project because what will happen is almost certainly they will just tell you to make changes and just make those changes right just do whatever it is and you will get a better mark and like my 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 favorite example of this was I took an art class in college at which I was embarrassingly terribly bad at art but it was a requirement that we had to do and I'm like okay there's there's no way I'm going to pass this by being good uh that's certainly not going to happen but what I just did all the time was I asked the professor like what did she think of this and she would just come over and and start drawing like on top of my own projects and instead of being annoyed about that I was always thinking like great this is fantastic I'm just accepting what she's doing and then when she's marking this what is what has occurred is like she's psychologically on board with this project being good now cuz she right? made because, it <laughs> exactly right like she has added stuff into this and i have just followed her and so i'm just doing what you told me to do and it's like i got an a plus in that class right not everybody did but i got a perfect score because i was always just having her come along and just like just tell me what to do and i will do it to the best of my ability or like you can modify this thing directly like go right ahead i will not be annoyed in in the least uh so so that's my thoughts if it's a subjective subject understand that it's a mind reading game and just do your best if it's a real subject with real answers just do the old tests over and over and over again there's no there's nothing better that you can do to prepare yourself in that here's my other key like the, the reason why i think i got on okay was i paid attention in class and tests didn't make me nervous mhm that's why i think i was able to do what i did mhm and also i can talk for england i could just keep <laughs> keep going keep going just keep talking of it you know especially i did a lot of um especially for my a levels i did a lot of like just essay based courses like i did media politics and, and english Mm-hmm. So it's just just keep writing until the end, right? <laughs> you'll get them in there, you know. Just keep writing, keep on writing, yeah, and just keep going. Just keep going. Sherlock asks, "Would either of you consider writing a book? If so, what would it be about?" I know what your answer would be, Mike. Do you? You don't read books. There's no way you're going to write a book, or would even consider writing a book. Have I never told you that I once started writing a book? 
Well, I never told you this. I don't think so. This is ringing, ringing an ever so slight bell, but maybe you did. Tell, tell me. Many years ago, I apologize if listeners have heard this story before. Many years ago, I got multiple tens of thousands of words into a podcasting guide book. Hmm. Okay. It, I had a I had an, a publisher attached to it, like an indie publisher, not like a HarperCollins, but like an <laughs> like a you know an actual company that that uh-huh. published books. This was before like iBooks or anything, um, you know. And I was going to get an ISBN number and everything, and they were gonna they were gonna make it in physical paper. It wasn't going to mm-hmm. be just an ebook. It was going to be an ebook, but they were also going to make a print on demand version. Hmm. And I got tens of thousands of words into it, and realized I don't want to write that book. Hmm. But it wasn't until I got a long way into it before I realized that was the the thing. And the reason is, I don't want to be responsible for dealing with that book for the rest of my life. (laughs) Because as I was writing the book, like over the couple of months that I was writing the book, I was changing the equipment that I use. And like, and mm. I look at the me then, those many years ago, and realize I knew nothing about podcast production, like the actual production, <laughs> compared right. to what I know now. So the actual answer is, would I write a book? Yes, I would, actually. Hmm. But I don't know what it would be about. Hmm. I don't like writing regularly because I find it difficult. Because you have to spend a lot of time going back over what you've written. But when I get a real bee in my bonnet about something, I can and do write about it and feel like I do it. And I'm proud of it anyway. I feel like I do a a job that makes me proud when I write something. One of my favorite things I've ever written was a review for the Apple Pencil. Yeah, that was good. Which I'll put it in the show notes if people want to read it. I'd had it for like a few days, but like I really wanted to write something about it and felt like I had an opinion that other people don't have because I care deeply about actual pens. So I had some stuff to say. So, you know, I would write a book. Maybe one day, like I would really like to write a book about my feelings on creativity and a lot of the stuff that we talk about here, like to really kind of just like write that down. You know, like, mm-hmm. this is how I feel about creative projects. And I have this whole, like, center around it of the idea of sacrifice and what it takes to have a side business and turn it into a real thing, especially if it's in the creative field. It's all about sacrifice and the, the things that you have to be willing to let go of. That's the kind of nugget idea that I have, but I don't want to do it. Because <laughs> I don't want the the work involved like of actually sitting down and writing it but because like the short answer is like yeah i would but i have no intention of doing it right now hmm, hmm. i'm surprised yeah. i'm surprised i'm a man full of surprises yeah you are mike i really am yeah multifaceted mike that's mm-hmm. what you are yeah so i mean would you consider writing a book the answer is yes uh i've at- attempted to do some stuff in the past <laughs> The thing is, like, I, I agree with you and uh, everyone I know who's a professional writer agrees that writing is no fun. Uh, <laughs> I don't know anybody who writes for a living who's like, boy, do I boy, do I enjoy the writing part. It's, it's like, no, it's always grueling and unpleasant. And the, the few people who are like, oh, this is this is fantastic are totally lucky freaks of nature. Uh, and I do not fall into that category. So 
I'm I'm aware that I I do have a a bunch of ideas for books that I would theoretically want to do, but very few of them ever make it past the like, oh, that would be nice to have done thoughts, right? Like I don't actually start any real progress on them because it just doesn't it, it doesn't make any real sense as a project to take on because it's it's going to be an incredibly long amount of time to do for probably not a whole lot of reward. That being said, there are two projects that I sort of have on ice where I, I am like collecting notes and writing out thoughts for projects that would be like book-like, but I am very aware that these things will probably never actually come to the light of day in, in any kind of meaningful book form. Uh, but I do I do have... I do have one thing that I'm collecting notes for that I, I have told a few people what, what the idea is. And I always mention that if I were to ever write this book, it would be literally the most boring book in the world. Like the topic is just incredibly boring, but I just find myself attracted to writing about this one particular uh, nonfiction topic. But I don't think it'll ever actually happen. If it does, it'll it'll be just cannibalized as I'll make a couple of videos out of the parts that I want to talk about instead uh, but I have mentioned this idea to a few people. And they're like, wow, that really is the most boring book I've ever heard of. Uh, so I don't think it'll actually occur. You know, and it's it's not like it's not like a joke, right, where plenty of people write interesting books on seemingly boring topics. It's like, no, this is this is really a terribly boring topic, but it's just something that I, I am uh, randomly interested in for no good reason that I think like, hmm, maybe I'll maybe I'll write a book about this thing. I even have the perfect title, but it'll probably never happen. What is it? I'm not going to tell you, Mike. You're just not going to tell me in general? Uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to tell you. It's a mm. secret. All right. I've only told a very few people, but it's 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 not really going to happen. Is it a book about me? Is that the, is that the reason? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a book about you, Mike. I'm this, sure you're surprised to hear that, but no. Has this whole thing just been a really detailed anthropological experiment? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, what, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to publish a book called A Study of Mike. <laughs> How to slowly change one man's life over time. <laughs> oh, dear. Simon asked a question that fascinated me and a few others, actually. I think it's the only question that there were multiple replies to that were like, oh, that's a really good question. Simon asked, when Gray reads his scripts aloud mm -hmm. and hears something in it that he dislikes, does he make a note for later or stop immediately to figure it out? Oh, I don't even understand this. how this question could be interesting. Like, make a note later. What would that even mean? That would be crazy. Right. So you're reading a script, right? And then you, you hear like, oh, that doesn't work. Make a note. Carry on. So you're not breaking the flow of the narration. No, 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 no. There's... There's nothing but there's no flow of that of the narration. Mm. Uh, there's, I, I guess I, I guess this is like a really obvious thing to me. But there, um, on, on my uh, on my writing checklist for producing a video, I have a first. The first bullet point on there is is a is a real moment that takes a long time to get to. But it is when can I get the script to a place where I even can read through the whole thing once without stopping. And that takes a really, really long time to get there. Uh, because that pre-phase is, uh, it's the research phase. It's also the just 
writing down random sentences and putting little paragraphs together and, and trying to find parts that I like and parts that I don't like and rearrange the whole thing. It takes a really long time before I even can read the whole thing through once. So no, there, there's no making notes for later. Uh, my, my process is very much like I'm just I'm just going through and changing stuff as I'm going through. And one thing that I try to do as well is starting at different spots in the script. So I don't always start from the top and go right to the end. Sometimes I try to start in the middle or just start at the end and then go back to the beginning. Because in the way my process works, if I'm when I'm making changes immediately, what that can often mean is I'm making a ton of changes to like the opening paragraph again and again and again. And very often, as, I, as, I'll, as I'll approach later on in a process, I'll realize like, oh, wait, this whole opening paragraph is pointless and I can just get rid of the whole thing and start later in the script than I was thinking. Uh, so I, I do actually try to jump around a little bit in, in where I'm starting. But, but no, there is no making a note for later to, to have the flow of the script keep going. And it takes a really long time before I can even go through the script all at once uh, anyway. So mm. it, is, it is an intensely iterative, on-the-spot process it really does sound kind of horrible <laughs> it really the... does <laughs> but this is why it's, it's like I'm, it, I'm like oh boy writing it's all fun and magic and rainbows it's, it's like it's it's not like that it, it feels very much like just constantly working on a thing over and over again to make it less awful in each pass uh, like and, and and I said before, like I think that is that is what my skill really is is in the iteration. It's it's not in the initial writing at all. And this is also something that's just changed over time. Is is being much more aware of I am writing a thing to be spoken aloud in my own voice. Like that's a thing that I've always been aware of. But I think as time has gone on, I have much more optimized the process for that idea as the outcome. Right, that like I'm really thinking about I am the one who is going to be saying this. How is it going to be said? And and like that's that's all what that's all part of this process. Uh but yeah, that's that's why I don't make notes for later. It's change it now and, and try to get it better. Well the main thing that I write is advertising copy. Mm-hmm. A vast percentage of the ads that are read across all of Relay FM are written by me in some way whether they're mm-hmm. rewritten or just completely written. Mm-hmm. And when I am going through them, I read them aloud because it's in the same vein. It is stuff that is written down to only be read aloud. Like mm-hmm. Nobody reads our ad copy just like right. as prose. Yeah, It's much more like speech writing. So I have a whole method of writing these things in, in strange outlines and bullets to make them easier to be read aloud. And, and when I do this, I do read through, stop, fix, go back, read through, stop, fix, because it is a completely, for me, about the flow. Mm-hmm. So I will always stop and then go back to the start again and read through. That's how I do it. Yeah, I mean, I think for, for anybody writing anything, giving it an out loud read through makes a huge difference. It's very helpful for finding awkward sentences that you don't, you don't realize. Martin asked, can you give an update on your bag situation? What bags are we using? What's going in them? <laughs> and is there still a redundant system? <sighs> this is funny to me because it's one of these things where 
This question reveals to me a thing that has changed a lot about the way that I work that I haven't even realized has changed, which is since I got this office that I use for writing exclusively, the amount of wandering around London and working in different locations that I do has dropped to essentially zero. Uh, like I, this is not an activity that I do anymore. Uh, and I, I do almost all of the writing in this one location. And, and so I was like, an update on my bag situation. Like, what is he even talking? Like, oh, right, of course. I used to have to have a different bag for, am I going to be wandering around the city or am I going to be working in a in a confined radius and I needed all these different things for those two different scenarios. Like, you know, one day was going to be the gym day and the other day was not going to be the gym day. So th- this is a thing that has totally changed because my life has changed and I just sort of forgot like what to old me used to do right because he's dead now and like oh that's right i used to do this other thing so the answer to the question is i just have now a very simple backpack that i use almost exclusively for just gym stuff that i take into uh, my writing office on days when i'm going to the gym and otherwise i just leave it at home because i have my equipment set up at the writing office and I just go there, right? I just have the iPad there. I have the external keyboard there. Like it's all set up. And one of the things that I was trying to do is is minimize resistance. So I want to be able to just wake up and walk out the door and go right into the office and just have everything that I need there. So the bag situation is there is no bag. Essentially, yeah. Like essentially there isn't any bag at all anymore. Uh like I used to have this whole routine of of emptying out the the bags and and checking that I had all the right chargers and various things that I needed in the different bags for different days. And it's like all of this has been replaced by a dedicated work location that has the equipment that I need. And also it's been replaced by having the iPad Pro, which I can, if I do on occasion want to go out and work, I can and do just take the iPad Pro, like without even any bag. Like I'll just bring it and carry it with me and walk around uh, and go do something. Like when you and I meet up on occasion in London, very often I just have my iPad Pro and I don't even necessarily bring a bag. Or if I am bringing a bag, it's it's solely to just hold that item to make it more convenient. Uh, so yeah, the bag system has essentially been uh, relegated to the dustbin of history. So do you have an iPad Pro that just lives in the office? Well, Mike, do we really need to discuss the number of iPads that I have? Is that a thing that needs to happen? I mean, I I want to now because (laughs) when you said that, I realized, oh, he has an iPad that only goes there now as well and doesn't leave. This is a thing that I've been sneaking past you for months now, which I was (laughs) was thinking like, oh, Michael never noticed that I actually do have two iPad Pros, like two big iPad Pros. Uh, But yes, one of them is just physically locked into uh, my iPad Pro stand at the office. And the other one is uh, like a mobile one that I can take around when I'm working. So two 12.9s. How many 9.7 inch iPad Pros do you have? I have one. One. How many iPad Airs do you have in use? Well, it depends on what you count by in use. Well, are they ever used? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, no, I just... I have no iPad Airs in use now. I have I have one that's in a drawer which is unused and I only dragged it out for uh that uh UR2 video where you can see my right, iPad Pro right. and my iPad Air. 
So I, I had that in a I have that in a, a desk drawer. One of my old iPads went uh, to my family in America for their use, and I do have an iPad Mini, which I think you can say is technically in use because it is running audio for a white noise machine that I use for sleeping at night. So it's it's just in a drawer connected to a speaker mm-hmm. and I can turn the speaker on and off. I think that like barely counts as in use, but is no, technically in use. in use. So the total number of iPads is four. I think on aggregate, you've actually gone down. Now. Yeah, I've gone down one iPad, but three of them are pros, which is kind of crazy. And oh. to be fair, for a bunch of reasons... Uh, I'm not actually even using the uh, 9.71 because for uh, the past few weeks, that has become my wife's iPad Pro. So I've swapped that over into her using it because she wanted to use uh, the pencil because she was going to be on the iPad uh, an enormous amount. And so she also has RSI problems in her hand. And now she is becoming a very enthusiastic Apple Pencil user and is hoping for the outside chance of an iPad mini that has a pencil in the future uh, because she has been using my iPad Pro as her iPad. So I'm really down to just two. It's hard to even get by. No, that doesn't count. I will not accept that. I will not accept <laughs> I'm down to just two. No, I think I am down to just it. two. Yeah. I don't think that's how it works. But this is also a side effect of like the redundant bag system, right? It is is not having to have different devices like charging and ready to go at any moment and using one older device for a different thing. Like this is actually a kind of consolidation that has happened because of a physical location consolidation. So I am at two iPads, Mm 9.7 and 12.9 Pro, but Mm -hmm. I will be moving to three in use when we institute the kitchen iPad. Ah, okay. Which will be my old iPad Air 2. Right, but that'll be also a shared iPad, which I think counts a little bit differently. You have one of these, don't you? You're holding back. Do you have a do you have a shared kitchen iPad, Gray? <laughs> no, I don't. Have, I don't even have space on my kitchen counter for. I don't even have a kitchen. kitchen I live iPad. in London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like, I, like I, 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 thinking of my kitchen. The width of my kitchen is the same width as the desk I am sitting in front of right now. It's like a sink and space for a coffee machine and a toaster. Uh, So we don't have any uh, shared iPad space in the kitchen. Okay. It sounded like you were really like, you know, dancing around. That's like, oh, shared ones. Shared ones don't count. I have 20 shared iPads with people all over the globe. My current bag situation is, is complicated, I think, because it's going through some change. Probably like the, the the main bag that I use right now is probably still the main bag that I use when we first spoke about this a long time ago, which is a bag called the Topo Mountain Briefcase. And that has been my like airline travel bag that mm-hmm. it is like part backpack, part briefcase. And I can put a ton of stuff in there. That is the bag that has like all of the charges that I'm going to need. You know, it has... Headphones in it always, like Bluetooth headphones now, because that's what you have to do in 2016. You can't use wired headphones anymore because that's mm-hmm. not allowed. So nope. I now have some Beats Bluetooth headphones in there, the ones that have the really long, long battery life, which I kind of like. They're a little bit uncomfortable because they're on-ear, not over-ear. Hmm. Mm, but it's the, they're the only ones that I want to use right now because they have 40-hour battery life and quick charging and stuff. <laughs> that's pretty sweet. <sighs> And um, 
I have also added in a bag by a company called Tom Bin called the Ristretto, which I got this bag for when I'm traveling. I go to conferences a lot. And when I'm at conferences, I usually want to have a bag with me to put like my iPad in in case I want to take notes or something or I want to mm-hmm. break it out and do a little bit of work. And my traveling bag, my Topo briefcase, has got too much stuff in it to carry around all the time. So mm-hmm. I got the Topo bag as a way to have my like when I'm at a place bag. And mm-hmm. that bag has also actually become really good when I'm out and about vlogging because it's like an over the shoulder thing. It has more than enough space to put like the gimbal in and, a, and, a, and like the, the little gorilla pod tripod that I sometimes use. It's got all enough space for that and an iPad. So that's mm-hmm. great. But then I have a, two more bags that have entered my life recently. <laughs> So, my my <laughs> this, is, this is crazy. This is you have so many bags, Mike. I know. Imagine, imagine such a thing. Out of bag uh, by a friend of mine, Brad, who's my co-host on a pen addict. He's making a bag called the Lenia, which is just like a just like a really thin briefcasey type thing, which mm-hmm. I was using all, and I really liked that for conferences because it's like super low profile. Like you just put like a notebook and an iPad, and you're good, and that's like great for that. And then I had a we have a sponsor on some other shows who make carry on bags. And they're not sponsoring this show, but it's a company called Away. And mm-hmm. they have sent me this bag, this carry on bag to try out. And now I'm like, maybe I want to move to a carry on bag when I travel. So I'm all over the place right now. <laughs> I have so many bags. I'm sorry, Mike. But it's they they they're all good bags with their own purposes. But if I decide to use all of these bags, which I could, then I'm going to be like you. This is this is the problem. Yeah, it's like there are bags designed for specific circumstances, and you want to use those bags under those circumstances. But then suddenly you need redundant equipment in all of them. I'm going to need to buy like 25 lightning cables. Yep, it's too much. So I don't know. My I'm in bag limbo. It's going to be right more now. than your house, right? The cost of 25 lightning Ugh. cables. <laughs> and then you know, do I go USB A or USB C? Who knows? The world is changing. Right, you'll need both. <laughs> and today's episode of Cortex is brought to you by Casper. Casper is a company focused on sleep that has created the perfect mattress that it sells directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing those savings directly to you. Casper's award-winning mattress was developed in-house. It has a sleek design and delivered in an impossibly small box that you'll be easily able to get up the stairs. And when you open it, the mattress just springs to life. It just sucks in air and it's ready to go. Casper now also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. Casper's mattress is obsessively engineered at a shockingly fair price. Their team spent thousands of hours developing it. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foam to create the mattress that has just the right sink and just the right bounce, and its breathable design helps regulate your temperature through the night. All of Casper's mattresses are made in America, and they start at just $500 for a twin size, $600 for a twin XL, $750 for a full size, $850 for a queen, and $950 for a king. Truly awesome prices. Plus, buying a Casper mattress 
mattress is completely risk-free. You'll get free delivery and free returns to the US and Canada with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything, no questions asked. Casper understands the importance of sleeping on a mattress before you commit to actually spending a third of your life on it. You can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash cortex and using the code cortex at checkout terms and conditions apply thank you so much to casper for their support of this show paradigm wanted to know gray why do you use double spaces between words when typing because it's obviously superior it's the superior thing to do do you hit the space bar twice yeah of course of course i hit the space bar twice well i don't understand how how else would i put two spaces in there you could use text expander and you could just have it trigger yeah, every time you hit a space to ridiculous. hit two spaces. That's ridiculous. No, do you know what's ridiculous? Double spacing your words. Why do you do this? Because it, it looks better. It looks better to double space. It clearly does. It's clearly the, the better solution. No, the way it looks is wrong. That's how it looks. <laughs> it looks like you made a bunch of mistakes is what it looks like. No, it doesn't. It, it looks clear. It, it, it separates the sentences. It's easier to read. It's perfectly great. And... What I don't understand is, okay, so I think this came up because I was I was on Twitter and somebody noticed this and, and there ended up being like a little bit of a, a little bit of a Twitter evening of people arguing over singular double space, which turns out to be a surprisingly heated argument, uh, which I don't understand because the single spacers are just wrong. But what I, what I don't understand here is the reason people noticed is because I was tweeting from my computer. So when I'm typing, right, you hit spacebar twice and you get two spaces on the computer. But on like on iOS, when you do the double space thing, it automatically does the full stop and a single space, right? And then you move on to the next sentence. You can turn that off. But that's the default, right? That's on by default. Yeah, because that's great. I wish that my computer did that. This is where people could see, like, you know where I'm tweeting from based on if the two spaces are there. Or if the two spaces are not there. If I'm on iOS, it ends up, I just use that default where tapping on the space bar twice does the full stop and a single space. Uh, and if I'm on my regular computer, I'm doing two spaces that is the better looking way so that there's two spaces in between the words. All of the scripts that I read for my videos, there's two spaces after the full stops. Nobody even sees them, but I like to have them there because it looks better. You know, we mentioned earlier that there are many things that you've. Uh, convinced me of the right way to do things over our history of working together i can categorically say this will not be one of them it makes no sense to me i'm gonna sneak on one of your ios devices and do an automatic replacement so that you get two spaces after everything you type you won't even notice if you're ever able to sneak onto one of my (laughs) ios devices you can do whatever you want my friend because i i would just be impressed that you managed to do it georgia asked if you could recommend one video for somebody who's starting to first watch CGP Grey videos, what one would it be? I, I don't think I have any ability to answer this question. It's it's uh, That's going to be so particular for the person, and I am almost certainly the least objective person when it comes to my own videos. And I don't often watch my own videos after I make them, hmm. so... I, I uh, actually ran into a situation where somebody messaged me uh, earlier one of my very old videos and, and said that they had enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot I made that one. Uh, that was a long time ago. Uh, so I, I don't think I'm a very good person to answer this question at all. I think maybe my my go-to answer would just be the Holland versus the Netherlands one. But that's that's 
entirely based on the fact that that was my video that felt the straightest in terms of production. Like I had an idea, it was relatively easy and straightforward to make and it came out just the way I wanted it to. So I feel like I like that one a lot because of the production behind the scenes. Uh, but I don't know if that's necessarily a good one for someone to start with. I think right now, right mm -hmm. now, I would probably recommend to somebody to start with something like UR2. Hmm. Because if you can watch that video and enjoy it, you will enjoy everything else. Hmm. Maybe the same for the trouble with transporters. Hmm. Because they're super like it is that is like they those two videos are the furthest you take any idea. Like you take the idea to scare you. Mm -hmm. And if you can accept those ideas, enjoy the production of them and learn something, you're gonna like anything else that's there. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you have a point there. I think it's a hard question to answer because I've been doing this long enough that I now have a pretty wide range of topics and styles on the channel, both in terms of just the videos that are older clearly feel like older videos. And yeah, there's just like a whole bunch of, of random different stuff. And so like I've, I have never felt even from the beginning, like I have a particular theme on the channel aside from I make videos on topics that are interesting to me is, is like the only theme that exists. And yeah, so I think that end that ends up with uh, quite quite an eclectic group of videos in all kinds of different styles on all kinds of different things. So yeah, I think that's an age thing. I think it used to be less like that. You know, like I think maybe your, your earlier videos really fit a more kind of central theme than it has ended up becoming. Yeah, I, people say that, but if you go if you go back and look at some of the older things that I was making, they're they're more varied than people think they are. And it's there's also a side effect of I am aware of what I was trying to achieve, which is with a lot of the earlier stuff, there was like a very particular purpose of like, I'm trying to hit a very viral note every time because I'm trying to grow this channel to make it into my full time living. So it's like, I think the first year when I was really focusing on it has like a much more consistent thing because I was aiming for something. But it just I guess in my own mind, it never quite felt like oh I'm, I'm trying to produce a particular thing well like i would say like the you know, looking at these videos like the first maybe 15 20 videos was like political geography it was like that's what it was and I, and i think it's it's diverged quite a lot from that point yeah maybe and tying cables <laughs> yeah yeah of course of course <laughs> i've never watched that one it's the only video on your channel that i've never watched yeah, it's don't don't watch it. Oh, and time management for teachers because I'm not a teacher. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That cable one was actually filmed in Hawaii. <laughs> now I'm gonna watch it. Gorbags asks, I have a question mostly in Mike's direction. Um, after listening to the episode where you both talk about the best time to start something is right now, I decided that I wanted to start the podcast idea that I had. It's about motorsports. It's something that a friend and myself are really passionate about. We're just finishing up the first season of our show, and we're happy with the numbers. But over the last few months, it's plateaued to the point where we haven't gained or lost a single listener. How did you or do you go about growing podcasts and videos? Here's the issue I have with this. I ask this question a lot. I can't give you an answer about what I am doing right now to grow any work that I'm doing 
What I can tell you is, looking back, I can see things that I did that worked then.、Mm. That's that. This the problem with this is that I get this question a lot, and the issue is, I don't know that I ever really done anything specifically to grow anything that I've done, but I can look back and see the things that did actually work. So when I was starting out podcasting, there just weren't very many technology podcasts. Like there just weren't that many. So when I started having guests onto my shows, sometimes it was like the only time you will have ever heard that person on a podcast speaking, or like they maybe were a guest on a show every now and then. To the point where, like in the Apple Observer world where I am, all of those people now have their own shows where you can hear them every week. So having these people as guests on your shows. Doesn't really do anything for you anymore, but at the time that was what really helped me kind of like build up my presence because people would subscribe to my shows because they would get to hear from the people that they're interested in because it didn't happen that often. So that was a thing at the time that I did. Then it was the network effect, the idea of starting a podcast network or being a part of a podcast network as a way to like help me get rungs up the ladder as I was associated with other people who had bigger audiences and bigger audiences that has been the thing that has got me to where I am now and I think that has been like the overall things then I started my own podcast network and I started shows with more and more people and it kind of was like got me rungs up the ladder to where I am now the problem is I don't know how well that works today As a thing,、mm. because there are lots of networks. There are YouTube networks and podcast networks and writing networks and networks and networks. So I don't know how well that works anymore. That's the problem. So the only advice that I can give you, which is advice that everybody hates, but there is a reason for it, and the advice is just keep doing it. Keep doing it, but find new, weird, interesting. Exciting, innovative things to do. Try and do things that you aren't seeing other people do. Present your show in a way that you think might be interesting. It might not work, but it might work, and then you might hit upon the thing that nobody else is doing, which makes people pay attention to you. And the reason people don't like the "just keep doing it" is because there's no advice in that. It's like just keep wandering into the like darkness. But the thing、yeah. was, is that's all I ever did, and I happened upon things whilst undergoing this process that got me ever so slightly up the ladder. There was never like a secret plan that I had. It was just I just kept doing it, and by keeping doing it, it got me further and further up. And that's where I am with YouTube right now. I have a base that I've started from, but the, look, I am like. Two hundred and thirty-four thousand subscribers down the line, right? We spoke about that. Like, I am essentially, <laughs> whilst I'm in a bracket, I'm essentially nobody on YouTube. And my feeling right now is like, I don't have an overriding idea of the thing that I want to do. But what I'm gonna do is keep creating stuff to build up my knowledge. To build up my skills until I can then start having ideas that I I can execute on only because I kept making. So that's my advice. It's not great advice because it isn't the five quick ways to make your podcast successful, but it is the it is for everybody that I know that has ever had anything successful that they built from the ground up. That's how they do it by just keep doing it because most people give up.
It's it's uh it's good advice, and it is also the difficulty of like like you said, looking back on the particulars at the time when you were doing a thing versus now. How does that actually work? Um, and you're right. You have to give people some reason to want to talk about the thing that you're doing. Like that that's what growth essentially means, right? Is somebody is seeing your thing and recommending it to somebody else or passing it on. However, the other side that people don't always necessarily want to talk about is some projects will come up against the limit of their audience. This is a thing that I think about a bunch, which is there is some natural limit to the audience of every project because there is an actual limit to the population of the world. And so even if you just want to start drawing the broadest circles, it's like, how many people on Earth are there? Seven billion. How many people speak English? Many millions. How many people who speak English might be interested in your thing? And I I sometimes see people pick projects that are... They're at like the wrong end of two Venn diagrams, where it's like you're picking a very narrow topic. And then like, let's say you're also doing a podcast about that narrow topic. Like sometimes it can be a question of this audience is very small. And then you also have to be talking about the people who are into podcasts who are also into this thing. There's always going to be a limit to the size of everybody's project. Like it ultimately can't grow forever and all projects will eventually reach whatever that maximum plateau is at some point and that's just a thing that you need to be aware of brandon asked now that my youtube channel has been around for a while how's the troll factor gray i have some exciting news oh yeah yeah i have my i have my first person on youtube that seems to dislike me just for me (laughs) and and i feel like i have hit a rite of passage yeah totally a rite of passage this is actually your second youtube rite of passage because you've already made the video about how you haven't made a video in a while Mm -hmm. right every vlog needs the episode which says oh sorry i haven't been vlogging for a while yep and then yes uh collecting around yourself some people who dislike you because of your personality uh you have to be at a certain level of popularity before you get those people so congratulations i'm i'm honestly honestly ever so slightly proud of it because this person just seems to just not you know they found me and they don't like me and it's like great you found me even though you don't like me and i'm happy that you're here because you keep coming back for more which is really interesting (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I feel like I've finally landed. I'm a, I'm a YouTube celebrity now, Gray. Yeah. It's, it's a great feeling. Heat viewers count just as much as regular viewers as far as AdSense is concerned. Yep. Now we've reached the end of the episode. We've also means that Cortexmas is about to begin. Yay. And we'll be back at the end of January. Happy Cortexmas, everybody. Happy Cortexmas.